Hey guys, before today's episode of Ringer FC, we again wanted to tell you about some of the stuff that's going on at The Ringer. TheRinger.com, we've got a bunch of written word content, as the kids call it nowadays, about the World Cup. We've got a piece about Nico Morales, which will be up tomorrow, about the tactic which has defined the World Cup. I've got a piece about James Rodriguez coming up. Um, we'll have some stuff from Micah from Miles Surrey, a bunch of other people throughout the tournament. So keep checking out the site in addition to the podcast. Elsewhere on the podcast network, we've got the Ringer MLB show, which is every Tuesday with Michael Bauman as your host, the brilliant Zach Cram and Ben Lindbergh and a rotating cast of other guests talking all things MLB. Now for the show. Yo, yo, yo. Day 13 of the World Cup, Ringer FC World Cup edition. Simultaneous match madness. Two more rounds of 16 matches are set, and Argentina are not out. We've just seen the most dramatic goal of the tournament so far from Marcus motherfucking Rojo. <laughs> I'd like to welcome my co-hosts, Ryan O'Hanlon. Rojo! And Micah Peters. It's a thin line between love and hate. <laughs> that song is actually about VAR. Just... Ryan, quick question. How's Micah's body language right now? <laughs> oh, it's, it is. It looks like he just beat Nigeria in the last game of the knockout stages to set up a match with France where he is inevitably going to get destroyed. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know. We did just watch Argentina beat Nigeria in their must-win match in the most dramatic of fashions. This game had everything in St. Petersburg, so there was a lot of drama in the STP. We saw a messy wonder goal. We saw penalty shouts. We saw an actual penalty. We saw a handball, not handball. We saw Higuain with a Wando miss. Oh, my God. Mascherano played the last 30 minutes with blood leaking from his face like he was in a street fight. Yeah, also chasing talking. the referee around the pitch for a while. It was pretty good. It we was like, saw, Mascherano was insane today. We yeah. saw the uh, double middle finger salute from Diego, Diego Maradona. Maradona. This is a game <laughs> that will go down in infamy. But let's just start at the end with the goal from Micah, your man's, Marcus Rojo. My man's? <laughs> I've, like, I've, I've, I have legit never seen him act like this before. And I, I, that's not something that you can expect from Marcus. Actually, you know what? And when you say act Almost like this, do giving, you mean get a shot on target? Yeah, well, getting a shot on target or doing something that, you know, is in the best interests of his team. I think that, like, probably before... <laughs> the, the last thing that I remember about Marcos Rojo before Manchester United signed him was him trying... Him being the last defender back and clearing a ball out of the six-yard box in a one-on-one -on -one with a Rabona. Like, that is that is what I understand Marcus Rojo to be, which and actually now, almost now giving up a handball and scoring kind of fits. Now he's going to be on a postage stamp in Argentina. Um, Ryan, did you think... So, just to set the scene, it was 1-1 uh, when Rojo scored in the 86th minute. At With that scoreline and with what was happening in the other game, Argentina were out. So yeah. that goal essentially put them into the knockout round. Did you see it coming? No, I, I thought when uh, I don't know if it was Messi who who cut the ball back, but someone made a run to the the byline, cut it back to Iwain, you know, ten yards from goal, and ended up seventy five yards 
deep into the stands. <laughs> yeah, that was like about five minutes before. So. I, I thought that was it because we've seen that story almost every international tournament before this that Messi's played in. Yes. Um, and then the like Rojo, the absurdity of that goal is just Rojo's scored one goal in the last three seasons for Manchester United for starters. And two, it was from open play and he's a center back and somehow he was running onto a cross at the penalty spot <laughs> and volleying it in with his right foot. Like the who, fact who that crossed the ball actually. I didn't even catch who crossed the ball. Uh it was either Pavone or who no, Pavone was playing on the right side. Didn't yes, it, 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 it was from the right. It, it came in from the right. right. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, it was a beautiful Pavone, cross. It was either so. Pavone or uh, Mercado, the right back. Yeah, Pavone was, was giving them headaches. I think it was Mercado, side. actually, because I, I remember saying right before it, this is going straight into the keeper's hands as, as he you wound can see up everybody, to cross it. <laughs> as you can see, everybody, we just came straight from watching the game, so we haven't had a chance to look at all the replays. But it was a beautiful cross and such a dramatic goal. I mean... The crowd in St. Petersburg was, I think Fox was saying, like 95% Argentina and, you, Argentina, and you could feel it after that goal went in. It felt like seismic reaction. And it was like, this is a World Cup moment right here. And, and But we should say, 10 minutes before Rojo scored, he was involved in a handball or not handball incident that went to VAR. What did you guys think of that play? Because the ball was basically skied into the box and Rojo and Igalo, the Nigerian striker, were up in the air. It looked like it may have skimmed Rojo's head, but then it went right into his hand or into the nook of his arm. And we've seen handballs throughout this World Cup called for much less than that. And if they had gotten a penalty there in Nigeria and gotten uh, a goal, if they they had scored the penalty, then they would have definitely gone through. I think Mike and I want the listeners to hear what you thought about the penalty. I thought it was a stone-cold handball. <laughs> I actually think I'm happy for Messi and relieved for Messi in some ways, but I think Nigeria were robbed because I think that was a penalty. And after seeing the Cedric penalty yesterday and, and all the penalty against in, in the Korea-Mexico uh, uh, match, these handballs are being given for just any ball touching the hand. So the ball clearly touched his hand in a, in a, in a way that affected the trajectory of the ball. And... and I don't know. What did you guys think? You want to go first or should I? I mean, like, I. You guys were saying who cares? No, 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 no. Ryan said who cares. (laughs) I'm saying that the heart wanted Nigeria to go through. I I was firmly on the side of of Nigeria beforehand, but then definitely after, you know, like reading Mascherano's pre match comments about like how their disorganization disorganizes you as a rival and, you know, like harping on pace and power like they aren't capable of other things. So, but, you know, because of the way that, I don't know, like it definitely felt unjust that the handball wasn't given, but the story of the game is just so ridiculous that I have to like appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, I would say one hate to talk about refereeing decisions. Two, I think <laughs> that the penalty they they called on Mascherano is a play that I think gets called one out of every 30 times. It was blatant trying. Um, t- tussling in the box happens on every corner. Should it be called? Probably. Does it get called that often? No. And if they didn't call that, I don't think anyone would be talking about it. Again, that's sort of been the the lens that I've tried to look at this through. But I think the main thing is that these rules are so vague still 
And VAR is essentially shining a light on how vague they are because... Yeah, we talked about the handballs before. Yeah. It's like too, the deli- deliberate handball, not deliberate, is impossible to tell. Exactly, and I think there's a case to be made where if it hits your head, that it's impossible for it to always be a de- ever to be a deliberate handball, right? But then there's the whole thing about is your body in an unnatural position, and Rojo's hand is up, but also he had to jump, so his arms had to move, and it's just like all of these conditionals we're going through just right. sort of show us how. I'm There's sympathetic actually to like, no I mean, like shows the limit of the language of the rule book. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm a sympathetic to the jumping and unnatural arm hand position, but he was so chicken winged out that it it just seemed blatant. I mean, of course, Nigeria would have had to make the penalty, but yeah. they made their first one, Victor Moses. So, yeah, so, so much happened in this game. And we should talk about Messi, of course. Uh, in the first half, Messi scored a beautiful Messi goal, a long ball from Benega, touch off his thigh i guess i mean left thigh left foot right foot left Left thigh left foot and then right foot finish it was just a perfect messy goal his entire lower half is made out of whatever that adhesive is that's on flypaper that's basically what you can take away from that because i think watching the slow motion replay of it i was just like the second touch is definitely the best part of this and then i was just like now it's the first touch now it was the finish it's all great i I said it was like a video game because you know how in FIFA you can kind of just hit a ball anywhere to a player and they can just set sort Bring of it control down in it. An inch of space. And someone, yeah. someone was just like, "You can't do that in a video game." <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, I mean, this was uh, one of the great as it stands, quote unquote, mm-hmm. days in World Cup history. I think because at that point Argentina were through uh, with Argentina scoring first, but then. Nigeria got one back, as we mentioned, the penalty. Um, Micah, did you think it was a penalty? To me, it was pretty clear that Mascherano was basically had a kung fu grip on, uh, I guess it was Balogun's arm. And it, and it, we've seen it with Harry Kane. We've seen it with Mitrovic not being called, and we've been saying they should be called. So I think justice is served when, when that blatant of a rugby move in the penalty box is called. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know, like, as... A person that used to play striker, I'm really glad to see those penalties <laughs> given. <laughs> um, also, as a person that, you know, once come up, it's for Mascherano, I'd like to see that penalty given. But at the same time, I mean, like, you know, I again, there's also the, you could argue equally the opposite direction because it wasn't given in those other situations and it shouldn't have been given here, which yeah. is like, it's one of it's those tough, like, yeah. dumb by Mascherano to be doing that. So stupid. Like, there's no reason. <laughs> Um, Can we figure I, out why his face got bloody, by the way, and, and why they didn't wipe it off? <laughs> should Nigeria contest the game and be like, there was a guy with blood on his face the whole time? <laughs> also, what about Victor Moses' Listen, penalty? that man has torn an anus and, and went back and continued playing soccer. <laughs> that, <laughs> I, I've been thinking about this a lot with the World Cup in the sense that, like, imagine if you didn't watch soccer other than the World Cup. Like, you watched uh, Switzerland play, and you're like, wow, Granit Xhaka, like, that guy's <laughs> left foot is f- fucking a lightning bolt. And then in, if you're an Arsenal fan, you know that that's just never happens. And, like, Shakiri, if you just watch the World Cup, you're like, wow, this guy's, like, one of the three best players in the world. And then Victor Moses has, like, the coolest under-pressure penalty I've seen in a really long time and ask any Chelsea fan if Victor Moses has ever showed composure under pressure and they would just I love the minimal the minimal run-up to just like the one, two. And then just pow. rolling it into the back of it, like just yeah. on some really cool. And then the flip too. Everything the, the about flip it was, was He got high. I mean, the thing with those penalties, it's like you can look at it and you can be like, wow, if the goalie dives correctly, like you look like an idiot. But like 
I think the way he takes it, the goalie almost never drives correctly, just because he kind of is waiting to watch him, watch him move. Also, shout out to Armani, like just <laughs> for his last name, his first cap with Argentina, <laughs> didn't do anything stupid, and that's kind of just all Argentina needs from a keeper at this yeah. point. <laughs> so, so that Moses Pen was in the fifty-first minute. Over in the other game, actually, we should say, which uh, Croatia eventually won two to one. Croatia was up 1-0, but then they conceded a penalty, and Sigurdsson scored, didn't sky it this time. It was like around the 75th minute. So at that point, basically the last 30 minutes of both matches, any outcome was basically possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, Croatia were already through, but if Iceland had beaten Croatia, they would have gone through. Uh, Nigeria and Argentina being drawn at the time, 1-1. Nigeria were through, but if Argentina scored, they would go through, and Argentina, and then, of course, Rojo scored. So let's talk a little bit about Sampioli real quick, not his fashion. We can talk about his fashion. This, today he had a white track suit, very sharp, zipped to the top. I mean, what do you like, guys think? Track, hey, track suit top was white, and the, the pants were, I guess, black or blue. He's 1-0 and and wearing a track suit in this World Cup. So. Yeah, they're the World <laughs> Cup favorites if he wears a track suit for the rest of the tournament. <laughs> he finally answered your guys' call and started... Some of his Champions League guys, uh, well, Benego was in the middle, that, or was that somebody else? <laughs> well, or yeah, maybe <laughs> whether he gave in to pressure. You know, it's the manager's job to make the players happy, right? Ultimately, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, think... Celso is still on a milk carton, but we saw Messi, Gain, and Di Maria. I guess we got we've been calling for more, you know, kind of uh, experienced attack, and and he put it out there to his credit. Yeah, and and yet they, it was the seventy eighth minute, and they were a goal short, and they uh, Aguero was still not on the field. Dybala yeah. never came in. Yeah. Like, I mean, Aguero did come in like 80th minute or so, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, but again, like Meza is coming on ahead of ahead of Dybala. I mean, I think not to, t- I mean, actually to toot our own horns, like this is, ga- that messy goal sort of just was a clear example of what we've been saying, right? Like rather, than having, forward. rather than having Messi drop back and play the through balls to his teammates, having someone play a through ball to Messi <laughs> and having someone who can do that makes sense. And then... You see Benega plays a perfect through ball. Messi takes it down. Great finish. Benega had a, didn't have as much of an impact in the second half, but he played a, a couple. He played Di Maria through on that one where I think if it was four years ago, Di Maria jets by the defense. Instead, oh, he yeah, ended yeah, up getting yeah. fouled, which led to the Messi free kick. Um, by the way, speaking of Di Maria, everybody should read his Players' Tribune piece about the 2014 World Cup final. I won't spoil it for you here, but... So, you know, we talk a lot about deserve, not deserve when we're talking about who's coming out of the group stage. Do you guys feel Arsenal, Argentina deserve (laughs) to be in the round of 16, given how they performed in the first two matches and I guess the drama of today? I guess mainly because like, I guess we can talk, you can talk about the penalty call, but they, they created some decent chances and the Iceland game, it's like. It's hard. I, I could never say that Iceland should have beaten Argentina, you know, in that game. Yeah. So, so given that, that I've, I'm not going to say that anyone would have deserved it over them. I actually had one eye on Iceland-Croatia today, and to Iceland's credit, they were definitely attacking more than I've ever seen them. I mean, obviously they needed three points, but uh, Micah, do you think Argentina are rightfully through and maybe uh, I mean, are Nigeria a little hard done by here? Whether or not they are rightfully through, we can. I think we can all agree that they're going to get vaporized by France. Okay, so, so that's actually a good segue <laughs> to France because uh, we had our first scoreless draw of the day in the earlier round of our earlier set of matches. 
France and Denmark played nil-nil, and I apologize to anybody who had to watch it like I did. Because Including was, the people at the stadium who pretty much everyone in the stadium booed them off, booed the, them field. off the field. <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan and I have been talking about this, and Micah, since I know you, you're a big f- fan of France, maybe you can chime in here. Is something wrong with France right now? Are they they finished top of the group, but they only scored three goals it in feels, their three in their three games. It feels like there's like something. I mean, like there's something wrong with all of the biggest teams. Like even so, like Argentina after this game, there's nothing. There's nothing to suggest that they wouldn't be able to find whatever that next gear is and actually be decent in the knockout stages. But I mean, like as far as France. I mean, job done. They didn't score as many goals as as we might have thought that they would, but they're through to the next round, and now it's like a totally different tournament. I tend to agree with you, but Ryan, I mean, what's you've been worried about France from basically the, the first match against Australia, or you, <clears throat> and you think maybe that is it Deschamps? I mean, we can't blame Pogba for today, unfortunately, so because <laughs> he didn't even he didn't even play. So yeah, um, I mean, it's it's I think it's. My thing is, like, they just have so much attacking talent and to only come out of games against teams that are pretty much worse than all the teams you're going to play in the knockout stages with three goals is sort of concerning Uh, just in general. Like, you would like to see that talent be able to come together to create more than three goals, but at the same time, like, they kind of did hold Peru at arm's length um, in that game despite Peru getting a ton of shots. And this last game, they didn't have anything to play for, like, at all. So I think there are some, like, score effects here of France just getting the lead and shutting them down. And, I mean, their defense has been uh, probably as good as anyone's. Uh, You know, Uruguay hasn't given up a goal, but I think France had a tougher group. But I think it's more like, you know, now it's Argentina and France. Look at all these exciting players oh, wait, each team only scored three goals in the group stages. This is going to be a scoreless draw, and it's going to go to penalties. <laughs> I, actually read a stat, I actually read a stat. I didn't verify it, but it was that Griezmann and Giroud, who both started today, did not have one pass between each other all, all match. There was one. Giroud uh, completed one pass to Griezmann, and then oh, okay, one pass. none in the opposite direction. I think we have to give some blame to Denmark as well, though, because I think Deschamps was speaking after the match when asked about how kind of negative and boring the game was he said that Denmark weren't even trying to score so you know it's like what are we we're not going to just relentlessly attack when we're already through and if the other team isn't going to come towards us then you know it ends up being just like a sideways pass type of game yeah I think the one thing is that once uh, Peru went up multiple goals on Australia you would assume Denmark would have known so then at that point for Denmark it's like you go for the goal um, and try to finish first in the group. Um, you would think they would have tried that because then if they lose, it doesn't make a difference. But I guess there's also the the group argument. I guess it depends what you think. Like, if it's better to play Croatia, you, or would you rather play Argentina? Croatia or Argentina? Like, Argentina, I think. I don't know. I think actually. Argentina, and then yeah. in Peru or Uruguay, Portugal, probably would rather one of those than Spain, but. But who knows? Um, well, it's an interesting thing because of, of, we're talking again about simultaneous matches. And after the match, the Denmark manager and the players said that they weren't, they were purposefully not told what was happening in the other game because it, I guess uh, the Denmark manager didn't want to kind of, get, you know, like mess up anything that was in the Denmark players, Denmark players' heads. If you guys were playing, would you want to know or does it matter? 
I think if you would have asked me when I was still a competitive soccer player, I would have said I would no. Have said, Don't tell me. But now that I like think about it, it's like, why wouldn't you want to know? I guess. <laughs> but it, it's interesting because even because like they knew was, that if they had a draw, they were going through. No you matter mean what. That now that you're washed. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Before the match, they knew if they had a draw, they were going through. Yeah. So they di- they didn't know during the match that hey, Australia is out, so you guys can go for it. They weren't told that, mm-hmm. so they just kept playing like they just needed a draw. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense. It's 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 interesting. I, you've even seen some stuff with Belgium and England where the a couple Belgian like De Bruyne has said or De Bruyne, sorry for the pronunciation, police. Uh, <laughs> he's said that he wants to play in the last game against England. So it's, I mean, you. You, I guess you. He's not going to. He's on a yellow. Yeah, but I guess you. Sh- it's such a like kind of fine line to balance that I guess you just you just go with whatever the players prefer, probably. Yeah. yeah. Right. Micah, any parting words for Peru, Australia? By the way, that match, very good kit match, the red versus the yellow. Yeah, I mean, like, aesthetically I, I, pleasing. I don't really have any parting words except for the fact that I'm going to miss Peru. They were fun. Um, they. First two goals of the tournament today, and they first win in the World Cup since 78, I think. Yeah. Eight straight losses. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's another one of those cases where even when you lose, you win. But they, I mean, like, it was less of a more, it was less of like a, the, the scale of moral victory was smaller than Panama scoring a single goal against England. <laughs> Can I ask you guys a question? Like, yeah. do you think that the sequence of games matters? Because, like, if Peru plays Australia in the first game and they win, then maybe they match up with France in the last game and France doesn't have anything to play for and they just get a fourth point because they need the fourth point and then maybe Denmark has to play Australia, um, an Australia team that's still playing. Like, I, I wonder, like, I wonder how much that matters. I think it matters. And actually, how do they decide the order? Because, I, I you know, looking forward to Thursday, I think England-Belgium that being the third match, I really wish that was the first match because they're basically playing now just for first and second. I think it, of, it must be random yeah. because, like, if Spain, so Spain and Portugal played the first game and they're right. the top two teams in that group, none of the other groups, I think, had the top two seeded teams. Like, Argentina would have played Croatia first if it worked that way. So I think it's, I think but it's Germany, just, Mexico was, weren't those the top two? Yeah. yeah but, but, but the fact that it's not that way in every group. Right. Makes me think that it's kind of just random. Just random. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, so you're suggesting if Peru had Australia first rather than Denmark, they might have gotten points and that would have changed their whole World Cup. Yeah, I think it playing your easy game first is always good because if you get those points in the bank, it lets you approach the games differently going forward. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it's the same thing as, like, kind of scoring early changes the mentality of the rest. I mean, that becomes a different game before and after. But at the end of the day, that dude on Peru should have just not skied that penalty and then yeah, would have Cue- been through. So. <laughs> yeah, Cueva, basically, he's kind of the goat. <sighs> Made me sad. One so last word about France, actually, again. from my little internet research. Did you guys know that in between match days, because you know there's, like, four days on average in between matches, that the French reserves have been playing against the Spartak Moscow Uni- U19s? <laughs> I did hear that. <laughs> I don't know any of the, the results, though. Well, so after the Australia match, uh, which, you know, France had a very underwhelming performance, the reserves went out, including, like, Giroud and, you know, some big guys, Lamar, etc. And they only won 3-2 to two against the Spartak <laughs> Moscow U19s. And all the French press were just alarmed, like, what the fuck is going on with this team? But then after the Peru match, they went out and won 11-0. Uh, Dembele had a hat trick. Tovan had a hat trick as well, so... 
Shout but I don't know. What do you guys COVID. think about what do you guys think about reserve teams playing against like competitive type of fr- friendlies against opposition like non intra opposition? There's a lot of smoke and no fire. I mean, like because if you're talking about a training match against whatever about whomever, like three two doesn't necessarily make alarm bells ring off in my head when you're talking about I don't know a training match. But Just, I mean, are any other World Cup? teams right now scheduling matches against outside competition like in between match days or is this just like a quirk of Deschamps is this something that's I don't know Ryan has have you heard of that before I think I've heard of some teams doing it but most teams don't I mean there's obviously the main issue is injury risk Um, but I think there's like a there's a tacit agreement in exhibition matches to not injure people Um, right little story we played against Jeff Cameron uh, Rhode Island in preseason one year and one of the guys on our team just two foot slide tackled him and took him out of the game. And Rhode Island's coach was threatened to just leave um, and refused to play the second half of the game <laughs> against us. Um, so I think Deschamps tells. You the sure Spartak, that wasn't you doing that, O'Hanlon? It was not me. I was I was injured at that point. Um, it was just someone who looked exactly like me, wore the same number. Uh, so I think there there's some agreement with uh, because I think the issue partially is that. You're resting your starters. They're probably just stretching and doing like foot skills for 15 minutes, yeah. you know, passing. So they want the reserves to at least get some sort of higher intensity practice in. Um, I think that would be the reason why they're doing it. And so they can actually score goals. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of the reserves, my breakout star, Thomas Lamar, finally got a start and did absolutely nothing. <laughs> totally <laughs> invisible. He's definitely not going to be in the 11 uh, against Argentina. Before we continue, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Hey guys, our new sponsor Ring first made a splash when they were on Shark Tank a few years ago. The concept is pure genius. If someone rings your doorbell and you aren't home or don't want to answer, you can respond to the person using just your smartphone, adding a level of both security and convenience. Today, over a million people are using the Ring video doorbell. And now, Ring has a great new product called Ring Floodlight Cam. Just like Ring's amazing doorbell, Floodlight Cam is a motion-activated camera and floodlight with HD video and two-way audio that lets you know the moment anyone steps onto your property. You can see and speak to visitors or even set off a built-in alarm right from your phone. Simply put, with Ring, you're always home. And now, as a listener of Ringer FC, you can save up to $150 off a Ring security kit when you go to ring.com slash FC. Again, up to $150 off at ring.com slash FC. That's ring.com slash FC. So you guys, Croatia, Denmark, France, Argentina, do you have some early favorites or picks or thoughts about those two? Two round of sixteen matches. Oh, I, I mean, like I still think that that France is going to dismantle Argentina, but the thought of Mascherano and Enzo Perez going against Pogba and Conte is is very frightening. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Deschamps Sampioli matchup as well. Yeah, two but Ryan's, I mean, two of true. Ryan's favorite managers. Yeah, toe to toe tactically. To me, this this screams out, this game's going to be way more boring than it should be based on right. the players both teams have. That's true. Right. And then for Croatia and Denmark, Croatia, I mean, you can't really finish a group better than they did. I mean, I guess you can if you don't concede a goal. They conceded one. But uh, they look very strong. And yeah. Denmark look very uninspiring. I think Croatia takes it, right? I don't have... I, I still have a couple reservations with Croatia. Um 
but I have reservations with every team. Um, so Denmark just, you know, they what they, they, they just feel like a nothing burger. They have it, like it's... one counterattack per game because they have Ericsson and then a couple long range Ericsson shots. Um, there's just, I think Croatia should win, but you know, I don't, I don't think Croatia is like a dominant steamrolling team either. So it could be right. a close game. I will right, probably get some more in depth previews for that later in the week. Uh, some quick news. Uh, I've been reading, not reading, but reading translations of Spanish newspapers. And there's <laughs> uh, reports here out of Spain that Yero, the manager, is considering replacing De Gea in net in the round of 16 match against Russia, bringing in, bringing in Kipa Ariza Balaga of Athletic Bilbao. Also, another another move he's thinking about reportedly is bringing in Nacho, Nacho, not Nacho Monreal, but Nacho Real Madrid, who scored that wonder goal against Portugal. Bringing Nacho, who's a defender, to stand next to or to pair with Busquets in central midfield, replacing probably Coque. What do you guys think? Is, is these are Hierro's first kind of like big bold moves? Kind of exceedingly cute to me. Yeah. Um, and they are playing Russia, so it's not. Well, yeah, I mean, like they are play playing reserves. <laughs> play your reserves. Oh, you mean like the team that has scored the most goals in the tournament thus far? <laughs> well, basically, the whole point of this is that I think Spain's def- defense. I mean, I guess their defense is Ramos and Pique. Maybe should be replacing them, but it's, they've looked very vulnerable. And and De Gea, of course, has kind of got the nips right now. So, what do you think, Ryan? Is this an overreaction? I think the De Gea thing is an overreaction unless you think there's something truly like mentally wrong with him though like that we don't know about because you know he's the best keeper in the world yeah. in my opinion <laughs> and three games shouldn't change that uh I mean maybe it's hard for him like after Man U where he was just facing so many shots um it's just a fact I'm not trying to Take a dig at you. No, I mean like, but also I know what you mean. As is like, if you're standing around with nothing to do for more for a longer period of time in between, then yeah. it's difficult to get into a rhythm. Is that yeah. a, okay? But I, I think the I understand the Nacho impulse because I don't think Busquets is as sort of a dominant player as he used to be. And I think with Iniesta, it's kind of shocking to me that they're still starting him for every game. Um, he just doesn't have the range he has. So I think a lot of the issues with their defense stems from the midfield. Um, whether Nacho is the one to fix that when you have Koke, Tiago, Saul, all of these other yeah. talented midfielders, I don't know if that that's the way I would do it. But, um, I mean, I... I, I guess I, these, are, these are just rumors, but... Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, I've been relatively impressed with Spain, um, despite a couple massive brain farts. Yeah. And some injury news. Jose Jimenez of Atletico Madrid, you know, the Uruguayan central defender, potentially out for the round of 16 against Portugal with a muscle tear. He didn't start the last group stage match, and Sebastian Cuates of Liverpool fame <laughs> <laughs> replaced him. Um, that seems like a pretty big loss to be when you're about to play Ronaldo. Yeah, I mean, I think he's great. That would suck. <laughs> like, uh, no other way and then finally... It. Last news hit, I just wanted Ryan to get a chance to have a rebuttal to this article I just read on ESPN by Chris Jones, headlined very sensationally, why Liverpool should sell Mo Salah as soon as possible. And I'm going to read one quote from it. A closer look at Salah's season, including its sad end, suggests that the best for him is no longer yet to come. His best has happened. And he calls him in the piece, football's master opportunists. 
Wow. Somebody Spice. had to somebody uh, had to have that take after one of the best like club seasons of football ever recorded. Insanely it's, terrible it, take. It's uh, not hit, a blog post either. It's like a feature. It's I I'm really disappointed. Horrible take. Salah is 26 years old and has a couple more years in his prime. You should, if you were actually going to sell him, you should wait until after he hits after his prime is over. His underlying stats match basically straight up with his insane goal production and assist production. And also soccer is not a fucking like shell investment game. Liverpool's <laughs> trying to win the Premier League and the Champions League. They're not just trying to make in- investments with players. Just just get that shit out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! So Group E and Group F will conclude tomorrow. We talked a little bit about those matches yesterday, but some updates. Uh, the Brazil-Serbia match, which is kind of the big one. Douglas Costa is out. Uh, thigh injury. Uh, there are some reports that suggest he'll be out for the entire World Cup or until the final should they get there. How big a blow is that uh, for Brazil? Ryan. I actually think it's bigger than it seems. He basically came on at halftime against uh, Costa Rica, and the game completely opened up because he he just provides another option of for them to get the ball up the field because he can basically dribble by Anyone. seven defenders in yeah. a given moment. Um, so I actually, it's actually kind of a concerning thing. Um, I think they're going to have to. I don't think Brazil can just go back to the lineup they started last game. Like, I don't think you can just put Willian in for Costa and just call it a day. I think they have to change something somewhere if he can't play. And in the the early matches for Group F, uh, of course, Germany and Korea, Mexico and Sweden. Germany, it's been kind of like conflicting reports about who's going to be in the 11. Um, but, Micah, do you think they have anything to worry about or yeah. do you think I mean like of course they have something to worry about <laughs> but I mean I, at but the look, same looking, time looking at the opposition you would assume that they're going to win yeah um, I mean like it should it should definitely I mean let's see <laughs> let's 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 talk about what you have at stake actually well I would actually you, I tweeted you, this that I think that if Korea was somehow to end Germany's World Cup it would be the best result for the Korean national team since 2002 when they finished in fourth place. Right, but um, would you <laughs> rather see would you rather see that outcome and have to eat a cleat, or would you rather see Germany oh, advance? I'd rather eat the cleat. I'd rather, <laughs> eat, rather the cleat. eat the cleat? That's, wow. that's really impressive commitment. That's, I, but because all four teams are alive, actually, in Group F, that's going to be some real simultaneous match madness. Of course, Korea has to win by two goals or more, but... Um, would it be amazing if Mexico somehow doesn't make it through? That, that would be like the reverse Argentina. That, all the positive press yeah. after the first match and second match and somehow not making it. That would be the the ultimate this team deserved to advance and somehow didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know exactly what combination of results they needs need, to happen. They need, they need to, to lose. lose Germany has to win and then it needs, those need to happen in a way that Mexico has the worst goal differential of the teams. Yeah. Right. I guess so Sweden basically has to like destroy them. Yeah. And Germany has to destroy Korea. Really hard for me to see that Sweden team like doing anything, doing anything. of consequence. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything to say about Switzerland and Costa Rica? Nah. Oh, by the way, you know, Shakiri, Jaka, and Licksteiner, none of them got banned, thankfully, for this match. And I just read today that Kosovo, I guess the government, is going to pay their fines. I'm curious for you guys, 
That's lit. What, what's what's your most controversial celebration of your own in your playing career? In my playing, did you ever <laughs> did you ever like flick flick off anybody or shout do like a Van Nistelrooy in someone's face? I punted a ball into a student section once. Ah. Like the opposing student section. Were you being abused by that student section? Yeah, racially. It was a whole oh. thing. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, I think Ryan would be too classy to do anything. Just Thank you. Head down. <laughs> head down, one arm in the air. Like, uh, No, I always, no matter what the score is, I sprint into the goal and grab the ball and put it down at the same <laughs> Wow, you're just like, you know, you're also, he's always had a short back and sides. He's never messed around with his hair. He's never worn gloves or long sleeves. <laughs> no, I was <laughs> saying today, uh, shout out to Ever Benega for wearing black cleats. <laughs> <laughs> the black cleats and tape around the wrist number. Such a yeah. good look. Speaking just, of, you can really set your watch to it. Quick sidebar, speaking of short sleeves and long sleeves, the, the last Belgian match, I guess against Tunisia, it was like 90 degrees Fahrenheit and Fellaini came out with long sleeves. What the fuck? I mean, the I fact don't understand anything that Fellaini impervious does. Impervious to so heat or something? His hair must just like suck in all the heat. <laughs> Let me ask a last question about Brazil here uh, because it's become a big talking point now. And this has actually become, we're actually going to have something about this on our site, the World Cup of Tears. But the Neymar tears at the end of the Costa Rica match have been debated surprisingly. I mean, me not surprisingly, but a lot. In the couple days after the match, some people saying it's a sign of his narcissism and you don't cry after the second game of the group stage. And and the Brazilian manager stepping up and saying, I cried too, and it's just a relief. And, and Neymar saying, it's just, you don't know the pressure that's on me. What, what was your guys' thoughts on him crying at the center of the pitch after the match? I don't know, man. Let people cry. Yeah. I'm I'm pro crying in That's, pretty much every situation in yeah. life. <laughs> <laughs> pro emotions, you know the the pressure these pe- guys are under is just like imagine there it's is like a, you they, fuck up and you can't do this again for another four years if you get lucky. Yeah, there's <laughs> like, exactly. And on top of that, like and imagine like in your native country there are murals like really, you know, just realistic to your likeness murals all over big, you know, like huge buildings in your native country while this is happening. And on top of that, you have stories like this coming out where it is a a controversial thing for you to cry at the center circle at full time in a World Cup match. That's, you know that fame has to be trash. Wake me up when someone's crying, like, in the 50th minute of a game. (laughs) (laughs) That uh, Adam Morrison? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, guys, thanks for being with me. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Ringer FC World Cup Edition. Peace. Bang, bang.